Well, I grew up going to a church that was very passionate about missions. And it seemed like almost, as I look back, as I think back about it, it seemed like almost weekly there was a missionary getting up that was home on furlough or something and was sharing uh, their story about what God was doing uh, in their ministry overseas. And I remember sitting where you're sitting now, not at this church, but at my church in Toronto, uh, thinking, I hope God doesn't call me into missions. (laughs) Because I was scared. They would be sharing stories about what God was doing, and they were giving up their comforts of living in Canada to go overseas. And I was comfortable where I was. Like as a 16, 17, 18-year-old, I didn't want to go overseas. I wanted to stay in Canada. I wanted to stay in Toronto. I wanted to have all the things that I'm used to. And so I would always listen. I would be inspired, and I would, in a sense, thank God that he had raised up missionaries, but also kind of quietly thank God that he wasn't and praying that he wasn't going to raise me up as a missionary. Would, do any of you relate to that? Feeling like missions is an important thing. It needs to happen, but I hope that God uses the person sitting next to me, not me. Unless the person sitting next to you is your spouse and you have to go with them. <laughs> so I hope God uses the person sitting behind me or in front of me. But as I... As I came to grow in my faith and understand what missions really was and what God's global purposes were, that it actually really excited me. And slowly I started to become excited about what God was doing internationally and think, man, maybe I hope God does use me in some way. And I, and I kind of vowed that whether I was going to be going or whether I was going to be helping send others, I wanted to be involved with God's global purposes. And so this morning, we're really going to look at this theme of missions and what God is doing, what he has been doing, and what he will do uh, in the future. We've been going through a series this summer in the Psalms, and most of them have been Psalms of Thanksgiving or Psalms of Lament. They've They've been things that will help us personally in our walk with him as we interact with God, especially through prayer and how God speaks to us during some of the the hardest times in our lives. But when I was picking the Psalms that I wanted to preach on this summer, I really wanted to have one that had us focus on something other than ourselves, something outward focused. Because if we're always looking in, if we're always trying to bandage our own wounds and that's all we're doing, we're going to stay in that spot. We need to be part of what God is doing internationally if we're going to want to be connected to the God because he is a God with an international heart. He is a God who's got a heart for the nations as we've already seen in this psalm that we've read. And so this morning's message is very much going to be a message focusing on global missions. And I hope that excites you. And I hope if you're not excited right now, you will be excited at the end because every single one of us can be a part of what God is doing among the nations. Amen? Amen. All right, so... Psalm 67 was already read for us. If you have your Bible, please open up to Psalm 67. There's two things I want to point out by way of introduction before we get too far in. First of all, I learned this actually uh, this week as I was preparing. Psalm 67 is known as a menorah psalm. You guys know what a menorah is? There's a picture kind of what it it looks like there. Um, In Exodus 25, God instructed Moses to make for the tabernacle a golden lampstand. And so this is called a menorah psalm because in the original Hebrew, uh, if, you, if each one of those is a verse, you know, verses one to seven, verses one and verses seven are seven words in Hebrew. And then verses two and, and six, and then three and five are six words 
in the Hebrew. And then in verse four, which is the central part of this message, uh, it is 11, or 11 words in the Hebrew. As well as being a menorah psalm, which is quite interesting, it also has a poetic sh- structure called a chiasm or a chiastic structure. And what that means is that there's different verses at the beginning and the end that connect to one another. And so you'll see verses one and two connect with verses six and seven. I'm not sure if there's a slide for that one as well. Yes, may God bless us. So there's a blessing in the beginning and a blessing at the end. And then in verses three and five, it's actually the exact same verse. So it's a repeated verse about let the peoples praise thee, let the peoples praise you, O God. And then again in in verse four, it's kind of the heart or the center of the psalm. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. And so this is kind of interesting, but why, why is that important? Well, there's, there's two reasons I wanted to share that. One is that there is a richness to God's word that we often are completely unaware of when we read it, that there's just so much more going on. It, it's not like the psalmist here, who we don't know who wrote this psalm, but just got, you know, after lunch, I'm just going to write on a napkin out a few thoughts that I'm thinking, and then it's going to get into to God's word. No, this is, there, there's thought, there's purpose, both in the mind of God and in the mind of the writer who wrote this. And then, the, but there's also, the second thing is that in the meaning of the psalm, it gives us meaning. It shows us that, you know, we're so used to in English just reading from beginning to end, and that's how, how we understand things. But here in this psalm, it to, it, knowing the structure and understanding, it helps us to know that the, that the outside is like the beginning together, and then it's moving inward toward the heart of what is most important in the psalm. It's not building up from verse 1 to verse 7. It's going in, and the heart of the message of this psalm is, is verse four then. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. And so we're gonna see that from that, the main idea of our message this morning is that we are blessed by God to be a blessing so that the nations of the world would turn and praise God and receive much joy. We are blessed by God to be a blessing so that the nations of the world would turn to God and receive much joy. And so we're going to look at that. There's three points. If you've got an outline there, uh, we're going to look first at we are blessed to be a blessing. And so again, look at verses one and two as I start here. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on the earth, your saving power among all nations. These, especially verse one, might sound familiar to you. And if it does, this is because it's the blessing that God gave uh, to his people through Aaron. In Numbers chapter 6, in verses 22 to 26, this is at a time where God is giving his law to his his people and helping to show them how they are going to be a blessing to the nations by representing God as a holy people. Numbers 6, 22 says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. I think what God's communicating in number six was that as you follow me, as you follow my ways, there's blessing that comes with that. Following my ways isn't meant to be a burden, but it's meant to be a blessing. And that that blessing is supposed to come upon you, 
but it's not supposed to end in you. It's supposed to go out to the nations around you as they see how good a God I am. As you stay pure, as you distinguish yourself from the people around you, I will bless you. And so the author of Psalm 67, he puts that in as the opening line of this psalm. This is probably written at least a thousand years after number six to say God is still a God of blessing. He's still a God who blesses his people. But then there's a so that there. You see that as it transitions to verse two. So that your way may be known in the earth, your saving power among the nations. Again, this blessing, it's not just to fall upon you and end on you. So often we, we Christians, we're just so individualistic and we're so concerned about our own needs and just we're asking God to pour out blessings and then as he gives them to us, we hoard them. We keep them, we put them in our own pouch and we keep them. But God isn't blessing you and caring for you and showing love to you so that you can hoard that in yourself. There's no hoarding in Christianity. We're blessed to be a blessing. It's supposed to flow into us and then we're supposed to receive joy and then we're supposed to pour that out into others. That your way, O oh Lord, might be known in all the earth, your saving power amongst the nations. This theme of God blessing his people to be a blessing, this wasn't unique to Psalm 67. This has been from the beginning of when God called Abram to be a people uh, for himself. Genesis 12, one to three says, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. And I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. The end game of God's blessing on Abram, the end game of God's blessing on the people of Israel, and today the end game of God's blessing of his church is that so his name may be known among the nations. Not just again so that it sticks with us, but that it goes out from us. If you have been blessed in any way by God, it is so that you may pour out that blessing onto others. And in that, you receive much joy in your blessing. And it also sings to the, to the, to the nations, let the nations be glad and be filled with joy. We are blessed to be a blessing. This has been in God's heart from the very beginning. Even when he called Adam and Eve, the first thing he told them to do, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. From when he, there was just two people on earth, God already had a global vision. Be fruitful and multiply and go out. It wasn't meant to be staying in that place. It was meant to be going out to all the nations. So whether from Adam and Eve to Abram, to the people of Israel, to the New Testament with us with the Great Commission, to make disciples of all nations. God's heart isn't just inwardly focused, looking straight at you. It's looking at you and through you to the nations. And to the degree that you get on board with that is to the degree that you will fulfill the purpose for which you were made and for which you were blessed. If it's ending with you, that's why it's malfunctioning so often. And maybe the blessings aren't coming to you as much because if, they, if God knows that if they come to you, maybe they're just gonna be hoarded. To the degree that you're pouring out on others is that to the degree that God will just want to pour blessing upon blessing upon blessing into your life. 
Look down with me now at verses six to seven, because remember, they're connected to verses one and two. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let, the, let all the ends of the earth fear him. You can see that in verses six and seven, the psalmist moves to a declaration that God will bless us. It started out in verses one and two as a prayer, but now it's a declaration. God will bless us. There's faith has welled up within the psalmist in the writing of this psalm. Now he's saying God will bless us. Because God has blessed his people in the past, they can have confidence that they'll bless him again in the future. When we experience God's blessing in our lives, it's like fuel in the tank, knowing that he's done it in the past, he's gonna do it again in the future. You know, when I was a, a university student starting to gain a heart for the nations, I started to think, well, maybe in between one of my years, I should go on a mission trip. I was a student involved with Power to Change at York University, and I, 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 probably around Christmas time of my second year, I saw the group start to advertise these mission trips that were being offered. And there was a couple that were being offered. The one that really stood out to me was this one to, to Tanzania in East Africa. And so I spoke to the person who worked with Power to Change and said, I think I might be interested. God might be calling me to go on this missions trip. And he said, well, that's, that's great, Jamie. And then uh, eventually I learned, you've got to raise $4,500 to go on this trip. Now, as a university student, I did not have a spare $4,500. Actually, even today, I don't have a spare $4,500. Either way, I was like, well, how am I going to get this $4,500? Well, then the... The staff member said, well, well, you raise support. And that day, you know, there wasn't like Facebook and all. I, didn't, I couldn't just post and say, hey, click this link and give. And it was just like that simple. It's like I had to write out a letter. Uh, I could at least print it. And, uh, and then I, but I literally stuffed envelopes, put a stamp on it, and sent it out to 100 people I knew well and somewhat well uh, who I thought might be interested in supporting me. And uh, this was a, a big step of faith for me because I, I didn't know where this money was going to come from. And the coolest thing that started to happen is that after I put that literally 100 envelopes in the mailbox and, you know, shut it like that, about a week later, I started to see letters coming back to me with people sending back checks towards the mission trip. I was like, whoa, this is really cool. Like, God is good. I, he, he's called me on this mission trip. Maybe, maybe I'm meant to go because people are, like, supporting me. I got to about a week or so before when I was supposed to go on the plane, and I was still about $800 short on like maybe the last Sunday before going. And I remember we still had a Sunday evening service at the church I was at, and I think it was at the Sunday evening service, after the service, one of, someone who was maybe a little bit older than me, he was probably like 25 at the time, or I was, he, this person was 25, uh, just with his first job, and he said, well, how is it going with support raising? And I said, yeah, it's, getting a bit nervous because I'm supposed to be flying out next week and uh, I'm still about $800 short. And uh, he took out his checkbook right there and wrote me a check for $800. And, uh, and I couldn't believe it. Because this guy was just a few years older than me at the time, right? And in his first job, this was sacrificial giving for him. And I was just so touched. And I couldn't believe what he said to me after. He's like, Jamie, thanks for the opportunity of letting me partner with you in what God is doing among the nations. And I was just shocked. I couldn't believe, I was expecting that maybe from some 
rich guy in the church who could just like write that check for $300 with no, but this guy was just a few years older than me. I was like, man, this is amazing. God has a global purpose, and whether we're going or sending, he, he wants us all to be involved. And I tell you that story for a couple reasons. One, it shows you what partnership in the gospel means. God isn't sending every single one of us here sitting this morning to some far-off nation. But I can assure you that God is calling each one of you sitting here this morning, each one of you watching online this morning, that you are meant to be involved in God's global purposes. And that there's joy. There was joy when I received that check and I went, I went on that mission trip, but there was also joy for the one that got to partner in that. So I tell you that because that's what partnership in the gospel looks like. We are all called to global missions. But I also tell you that because, because I got to see God provide for me in what he was calling for me to do, it was through that mission trip that I felt God was calling me into full-time vocational ministry. And actually, originally, full-time vocational ministry was Power to Change, which meant, as you, many of you might know, Power to Change doesn't just have a war chest of money that it opens up, and when you join staff, it just shovels you some. No, you have to raise support, and now so it's not just $4,500 to go on one trip. It was a few thousand dollars a month to be on staff. But it's because I had seen God provide for me in the past, I had faith that he would provide for me again in the future if he had called me to do that. Is there something in your life right now where you're not sure if God is going to provide for you? Well, just take a look back in your life. God has been good to you in the past. He has provided for you. He has met your needs. Whatever you are facing looking forward, He's given you faith by what he has already done for you in the past. This is, what it, this is what I see when it says God will bless us. Israel had already seen God provide for them. It went from a prayer to a declaration. God will provide. If he is calling us to do something, he will provide. But I also see here, back to verse 2, when God does bless you, he does it again so that you will be a blessing to others. I think it was Uncle Ben of Spider-Man who said, with great blessing comes great responsibility. I think it was, with great power comes great responsibility, but I will make it kind of more of a Bible theme thing, here thing. With great blessing comes great responsibility. Each one of you here this morning has been blessed by the Lord. And I think of the parable of the talents. God expects a return on his investment in you. And whether he's invested in you five talents or two talents or one talent, he's expecting a return. He's not expecting you to bury it. He's expecting you to invest it so that the nations would be blessed. You were blessed to be a blessing. Let's look on at verses three and verse five here. God is worthy of worship not just from you, not just from us, but from all of the peoples of the earth. Verse three, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. And the writer says, in case you didn't hear me the first time, verse five, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. You know, when there's repetition in poetry, you know that it's there for emphasis. There's only seven verses in this psalm, and two of them are saying the exact same thing. 
So if you didn't hear it the first time, hear it the second time. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Why does it say peoples? Have you ever wondered that when you see this? Why does it just say people? We don't really say peoples. It's kind of a strange way of saying people unless you're meaning something intentionally by saying peoples, which is in the Bible, so it's obviously there intentionally. So what does it mean? Why is he saying peoples and not people? The reason he's, he's writing and using the word peoples is that he's referring to something different than just a vast swath of people. He's, he's talking about people groups, ethnic, linguistic people groups of the world. Kind of like nations, he uses the word nations in verse four. He's kind of using it synonymously, but he's not using it to say just the, the countries of the world, let all the countries praise you. He's saying let the peoples, these ethno-linguistic people groups of the world a great website that if you've never looked at with regards to missions is, is Joshua Project. You just Google it, joshuaproject.org. But uh, if you look up Joshua Project, it has just a ton of resources on global missions and what is going on in the world. And Joshua Project uh, says this about people groups. It says, for evangelization purposes, a people group is the largest group within which the gospel can spread as a church planting movement without encountering barriers of understanding or acceptance. So it's saying that there's, there's many different people groups of the world that we need to, as followers of Christ, when it says make disciples of all nations, it's not just talking about the 193 countries of the world, it's talking about actually about the 17,000 or so people groups that are known in the world. And so let all the different peoples, whatever they look like, whatever they speak, whatever their culture, let all of the peoples of the world praise you. This isn't just for people that look like me, the Christian faith. We're not just to make disciples of people that look like me. We're supposed to make disciples of all the peoples of the world. Our God is a global God who's calling a people from every tribe and every tongue and every nation into worship of him. So for example, I said there's about 17,000 in the world. If you go to the next slide, um, that was not the one I was expecting, but <laughs> that one is also a good slide that is to come. But there is a, if you think of the, the nation of Nigeria, it is, a, it is a single country, but within Nigeria alone, there are 544 people groups in that one nation. And so it's not just saying go to Nigeria and make disciples of a few people in Nigeria and then Nigeria is reached. It's saying the gospel needs to go to 544 different people groups in Nigeria. Canada is one nation, but I think uh, from what I read this morning or this week, 295 people groups. In India is, is the country with the most different people groups in the world, and there's such a need for gospel movement in India among the peoples of India. So when it says in verses 3 and verses 5, let the peoples praise you, it's saying let not just people praise you, let not just uh, 200 countries of the world praise you, but 17,000 people groups of the world praise the living God. But why should they praise God? Isn't that, is that okay for us still today in 2023 to say that all the peoples of the world should praise our God? Isn't that kind of like imperialistic or something to think that the God we serve, the God of the Bible, is the one that all the nations should serve? Like, can we still say that today? Maybe you could have said it 
a little while ago, but like in 2023, can we still say everyone on earth, no matter what country they're from, their ethnicity, their background should worship the God of the Bible? Can we say that? Well, yes. (laughs) Yes, we can. We serve the one true and living God who has revealed himself in the world or in his word and in the world. He's incomparable. There's no one like him. There is only one true living God. Isaiah, the passage that is on the screen, Isaiah 40. God says this about himself. He says, to whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One. Lift your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. There's billions and billions of stars in the sky and each one of them is there because of the one true living God and is known by name by the one true living God. It's because of him not one of them are missing. This is the God we're calling the nations to serve. Or Exodus 3, this is a very familiar passage to us where Moses is before the burning bush. It's a turning point in Moses' life. He goes from being kind of a coward who's running away from his problems to someone with great boldness who's gonna go before Pharaoh. God reveals himself to Moses and says, or Moses is saying to God, what, what sh- who should I tell them is sending me? This is what God replies. Then Moses said to God, if I, if, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me, and they ask me, what is his name? And what shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. When God describes himself, he can't compare himself to anyone else. He just says, I am who I am. Who do you expect me to compare myself to? Who is there out there that I could say, I'm, I'm like this? Because every single comparison would be inadequate when it is the living God. All he can say is, I am who I am. You know, if you were in the States, let's say the deep south, they didn't know anything about Canada, you're, you're explaining to them, you know, we got a prime minister, Our, his prime minister's name is Justin Trudeau, and they're like, well, what, who, like, I don't understand. And uh, you could, as a Canadian, you could go into the States and say, well, he's, he's kind of like your president. It's similar, right? Even the most powerful person in Canada can be compared to someone, to someone else. But with the true and living God, all he can say is, I am who I am. He can't say, I'm like Pharaoh. He's much greater than Pharaoh. I am who I am. He is indescribable. John Piper has said, God is the absolute reality that everyone in the universe must come to terms with. Everything depends utterly on his will. All other realities compared to him, like a raindrop compares to the ocean, or like an anthill compares to Mount Everest. But even these comparisons are inadequate. He's the absolute reality which every single person on earth must come to terms with. Everything utterly depends on his will. All other realities compare to him like a raindrop to the ocean or an anthill compares to Mount Everest. And so this is why God is worthy of worship of all the peoples of the earth. 
And this then is why missions exist. Right before I went on that summer missions trip to Tanzania, I read a book uh, called Let the Nations Be Glad. It's by John Piper. And by the way, this week I found out that I have an extra copy of this. So if you are 30 or under and are interested in missions, I have an extra copy for you. So, because I want to inspire missions among young people in our church. So come up to me afterwards. You can get a free book. One book, fastest person over here, I guess, uh, afterwards. But I read this when I was younger, and it, it opens up with this sentence. The, the whole book starts with this, and it was just like a slap in the face to me as an 18-year-old university student. He says this, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over, and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. So worship is what we were all created for. Every single person on earth was created to worship the one and true living God. It doesn't matter if you were born in Canada or born in Azerbaijan or Turkey or Ukraine or Uganda, wherever you were born, you were created to worship the one true living God. But because not all the peoples of the world worship the true and living God, that is why missions exist. If everyone across the the planet was worshiping God right now, it's a temporary necessity. Missions would be no more. Psalm 57 verse five says, be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all of the earth. So it starts with this vertical call of that the Lord would be exalted above the heavens. So we worship him. But then because worship doesn't exist all over the world, let your glory be spread all over the earth. It starts with that vertical acknowledgement that God is worthy of worship and we will worship him but then it needs to spread. It can't just end here. It can't just stay in this room. When we sing praises, as amazing as it has been this morning, and I know how amazing it will be when we follow up this message with a song of worship, it can't end with us. Let your glory be over all of the earth. And we have a privilege of being a part of that. But where are we at right now as far as world evangelization as far as as the gospel amongst all the peoples. Where are we right now? Well, you can find out lots of these great stats on joshuaproject.org, so I encourage you again to check out Joshua Project. Great resources for prayer and statistics. But worldwide, it says there's total people groups of just over 17,000 people. Unreached people groups comprise about 7,402 of those. An unreached people group means there's less than 2% evangelical Christian in that people group. It means they're not big enough and strong enough of a church to self-propagate. They're surviving at best right now. But people need to be sent into that people group in order to build the church. There's also unengaged people groups, which I don't have on there. That's talking about where there's, there's just nothing going on there. Not a single missionary but even just among unreached people groups. 41% of our world right now is considered unreached. 3.28 billion people on the planet right now are woke up this morning 
with about a 0% chance of hearing the gospel. They didn't have anyone. Unless someone crosses a cultural barrier and goes in with the gospel, we'll never get a chance to hear about the love of Christ. Missions exist because worship doesn't. And they're unreached and unengaged because they're in hard-to-reach places. I believe that there's a map on there. It's kind of small, but you can kind of get the picture of what's going on in the globe. The place where it's indicated by red is, is unreached or least reached. You're talking about North Africa, Middle East, and Central Asia primarily. It's primarily known in what is known as the 1040 window. Re- rectangular area, and again, including North Africa, Middle East, and Asia. Much of the places where even now we send missionaries are already green. And it doesn't mean there's no work to be done there, because you can see Canada is for the most part green, and we know there's still work to be done here in Canada. But as far as the fulfillment of the Great Commission, making disciples of all nations, it's in some of the most hard-to-reach hard places in the world, and there's not an indigenous church that's able to raise itself up right now. Someone has to go. There's good news, though, as well. God is on the move. There are more Christians today than there have ever been, and and Christianity is growing at a rapid pace worldwide. Even though we feel like, in many ways, in Canada, the church is on the the down, and we feel kind of discouraged, primarily in the global south, in places like South America, Africa, and Asia, if you look especially in uh, eastern China, the gospel is spreading like wildfire, actually. In 1949, there was less than one million believers in China. And in 2022, there's like, it's hard to, you can, there's not just taking censuses about who's a Christian in China, but it's estimated that there's at least 100 million Christians, almost a tenth of the population then. The church is growing, and the people in China, when they come to faith in Christ, they are very quick to become missionaries as well. There's something called the Back to Jerusalem movement, which is kind of like the gospel has kind of always gone west. But now, as Chinese believers are coming to faith in Christ, and we see this as well as amongst South Koreans and Filipinos, they're, they're taking the gospel back through the, the stand countries in Central Asia, as well all the way back to Jerusalem, where our faith uh, originated. And so God is on the move, and we can be in prayer for China and other countries that are really seeing gospel growth. So we say, let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. The third point here, the worship of God results in the joy of all nations. Piper writes in his book, Let the Nations Be Glad, the goal of missions is the gladness of the peoples in the greatness of God. The goal of missions, the goal of everything we do in missions is the gladness of the peoples in the greatness of God. We're calling people from every tribe and tongue and nation to, to have joy in the living God. Remember when we, we pre- I preached on Psalm 16, it says in verse 11, 
of God. You make known to me the path of life. In, their, in your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. There is no greater good that you can do for a person, whether they live across the street from you or whether they live in Azerbaijan, but than by introducing them to the one true living God who loves them, who's made himself known for them, who became man for them. They went to the cross on their behalf, died and rose victorious that they can be forgiven of sin and can come to know him in a saving way. The reason why peoples of the earth are not having joy is because we live in a sinful world. It's broken, but God has made a way for us to know him through his son, Jesus Christ. This brings us much joy. I sense it when we sing about it together. But the joy, again, shouldn't end with us. It needs to go out to the nations. The apostle Peter, when he wrote to the church under persecution in 1 Peter chapter 1, Verses 8 and 9, he wrote to the church, Though you have not seen God, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you're receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Believing in Jesus means that we're filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. This is why we can go through persecution. This is why some can be sent to the places on earth that were indicated in red because they are welling up in joy and they are desiring that those people would come to serve the Lord and experience the joy of knowing him. And so remember the main idea that we had from our passage this morning, Psalm 67. We are blessed by God to be a blessing so that the nations of the world would turn and praise God and receive much joy. Let me end by giving a few points of application for us this morning. But first of all, let me ask, why aren't we more involved in this? Why aren't we more involved in this? If this is kind of the purpose for which God created all things, why isn't this like more like higher up on our priority list than maybe it currently is right now? Could be busyness. Could be that we're just spiritually lethargic. Could be that we're not aware well, at least we don't have that excuse anymore after this morning. But why aren't we more involved in this? There is so much joy and purpose to, that comes from being involved in what God is doing among the nations. We should be involved. This is guaranteed to succeed. If you're investing yourself in something, isn't it good to know that what you're putting your efforts and money and energy into, it's, it's gonna happen? It's guaranteed to succeed? What did Jesus say? I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus said the gospel will go of the kingdom we preach throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. This will happen, Jesus is saying. So get involved. What are our next steps? Well, the first one is in a room this size, I would expect that God might be calling some to be cross-cultural missionaries. In a room, this, if, if we are a church of 800, 900 people, and we're not sending out missionaries that we are raising up ourselves, we're doing something wrong. So my, my, my challenge would be, there's got to be some people here amongst that this is spurring within you a thought that maybe I need to go. 
Maybe it needs to start with something short-term. I've never been on a short-term mission trip before, maybe you're saying, maybe to start there. But God needs to be sending people out of West Highland to spread the gospel in our city, in our country, and amongst the nations. I want West Highland to be a church that not just has missionaries, but that raises up missionaries. We can't just be taking missionaries from other churches and saying, we'll support them financially, but we're keeping all our people here. No, we need to be raising up missionaries ourselves, gladly sending them out, praying for them, and financially supporting them to the mission that God would call them to. And so I hope that this is welling up within some of you. A question, is God calling me? And if you're questioning that, I would love to talk more about, about that with you. I'd love to meet up with you to talk more about what it might look like that God could be sending you overseas. My, my year, I was overseas for a couple years in Uganda, and it was some of the greatest years of my life, and we, we loved it, and Vanessa and I would be open to going again in the future if the Lord would call, but we're just open to his will for what, what he has for us. But for most of us here this morning, we're probably not going overseas. And so but that, you can't just say, well, then he's not calling me, so I'm not going to be involved. What does it look like to be involved in global missions as someone who stays living here in Hamilton? Well, two things. One, you need to hold the ropes for those going. You may have heard of the name William Carey. He was a famous missionary, kind of known as the father of modern missions. He went from his comfortable life in England in the 1700s to India when he wasn't just taking a British Airways flight to get there. You know, he's setting sail to go to India. He left uh, England in 1793 and went to India and served there as a missionary until his death in 1834. His, his example inspired many missionaries that came afterwards. There wasn't a huge global movement of missionaries before when William Carey decided to go. And many people have heard of William Carey, but far fewer have heard of his friend Andrew Fuller. Unless you're a student of Michael Haken who loves Andrew Fuller. But Andrew Fuller is not well known, but he was a friend of William Carey. And like Carey, was, com was convinced that the gospel was meant to go out to all nations, but that he was sensing that he wasn't called to be one to go. And so he, he resolved to support Carey in any way he could. And at one point, it's, it's noted that Carey famously told Fuller, I will go down if you will hold the ropes. There's this idea that if, if a missionary is going, it's like they're, they're going down a, over a cliff or something. We're, there's got to be someone that's holding the ropes for them to go who's staying at home. Each one of you here, if you're not going overseas, you are called to hold the ropes for those going. Fuller stayed in England. They started the Baptist Mission Society, and he served as its president um, until his death in 1814. He traveled all over the British Isles raising funds for missions. The missionaries in India could concentrate on their ministry in the field because they knew Fuller was doing the work of advocating for them at home in England. While the Great Commission is a command for all Christians, not every believer is called to move to another land and serve as a cross-cultural missionary, but we are all called to be involved. How can you hold the ropes for missionaries? Well, by supporting missions endeavors financially. You know, we give, I think, at least a tenth of our 
of our, our yearly budget as a church towards missions, but there's other opportunities to give towards missionaries when they go out and often will meet and ask for financial support. You know, I'm the pastor of West Highland, but I would say your giving should be to West Highland, but also to things that are going outside of West Highland to other missionaries as well. We should be overwhelming, oh, yeah, be overwhelmed with generosity of ourselves. Like that guy who wrote me the check for $800. That, again, $800 in the grand scheme of things isn't that much, but that sent me on a trajectory, completely changed my life, and anyone who's been in, influenced by my ministry from that, a guy wrote a check for 800 bucks. How can your 800 bucks be used for something far greater in the hands of a missionary or in ministry than in our own pockets? So financial support, prayer support. Actually read the prayer letters that get sent out. It is such a blessing when I, when I was overseas in Uganda and I would send out a, an update and people would reply to my email saying, Jamie, I prayed for this this morning. It was massive. They may have just said a sentence prayer and then wrote a sentence email and that could have changed my day if I was discouraged overseas. It is so easy today to text, to email, to Zoom with missionaries. Everyone here can be a part of doing that. Jesus said that his house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Care for them as well practically when they come home. They're here, they, they should not have to have a Sunday afternoon where they don't have an invitation for lunch when they come home on furlough. They should just be overwhelmed. With, West Highland should just be a, like just a hospital and a place where we're caring for these missionaries as they come back. They just feel loved and cared and then sent out better than what they came back. A word for community groups. Do you have a, a missionary that your group is adopting and saying, we can't pray for all 20-something that the, the church supports, but we are going to pick this one couple. It's going to be our couple that we're praying for, we're emailing, we're sending care packages to, and if they ever come home, they're going to be loved on by our group so well. But if you're staying, you've got to hold the ropes, but you can also be on mission here in Hamilton. This is the final thing I'll say. Foreign missions, it's just domestic evangelism in another cultural context. In a sense, we are doing the work of evangelism amongst people in Hamilton. There shouldn't be a need for missionaries to come to Hamilton because churches like West Highland are doing such a good job of evangelization of our own people. We are all called to be part of the Great Commission command to make disciples of all nations. Let's be a church that is here to be a blessing to our city, that's showing the love of Christ, that's loving on them practically, but also loving on them in word and sharing the gospel with them, the hope that is found in Christ alone. Any opportunity we get, we should be thinking about how can I just be, be the, the hands and feet of Christ for my neighbors, for my coworkers, for those in our city who, who need love, and let them know it's because of the hope that I've found in Christ. Community groups, again, as you restart in September, if, you're, if you've taken a pause, remember, as community groups, we are about community, transformation, and mission. Make sure that you have some sort of missional element to your meeting. Pray for missionaries. Pray for those in your life who don't know Christ. Serve within our city. Invite people into your group. In closing, in Revelation 7, we get this beautiful picture 
of a group of people before the Lamb of God. They aren't people all from Hamilton. They aren't people all from Canada. They're people, there's a great multitude, it says, that no one could count. People from every nation, every tribe, every people, every language. They're standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands and they cried in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. This scene is guaranteed to happen. This is going to happen. We are going to be a part of it. But what a joy it would be to be sitting amongst that group of people saying, our church and our family and me personally were involved in welcoming people into that great multitude. One day people from every tribe and nation will sing praise to our God. Let's be involved with it here, individually and as a church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love that was poured out on us. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus, you initiated with us. Uh, Apart from your gracious initiation, we would still be on our own, lost in sin. But you found us. And so, Lord, we know that you're a God who is on the move. We know that you are a God on mission And Lord, you are calling us to be involved in your mission. And so I pray for each and every person here this morning that they would consider how you are calling them to be involved in the cause of your great name among the nations. And that for every person here, that they would have the joy of being a part of what they were made to do. Worship you and make your name known to the nations. So God, I just pray that we would be a church that worships you passionately, That as people come in, they would say, there is a living God who they love and who they worship and who they adore. There is life. There is genuine life here because they serve a living God. And God, may that not end with us. May it just pour out into our city, into our country, and to the ends of the earth. We praise your name, Father. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Can you imagine? That's just a foretaste of what we're going to see happen amongst people from all the tribes of the earth, sitting before the lamb, standing before the Lamb, worshiping Him. And so my blessing just comes straight from the psalm that may God bless you and be gracious to you and make His face to shine upon you so that God's ways would be known on earth and His saving power amongst the nations. You were blessed to be a blessing. Go out in Jesus' name and now do that. Amen.